All right, welcome back, Bulldog fans. It's time for the Drake Basketball Podcast. Saturday night, Drake lost a thriller to first place Indiana State, 75-67. This was a nationally televised game in a sold-out Holman Center against a Sycamore squad that is currently number 23 in the net and a couple spots out of the AP Top 25. Indiana State is the number one ranked effective field goal percentage team in the country and one of seven teams in college basketball at the time of this recording with 20-plus wins. Drake trailed by 17 points on the road in this contest and was playing with a banged-up Tucker DeVries without six-man Colby Garland. Darnell Brody only played 22 minutes due to foul trouble. Drake shot just 12 for 23 from the free-throw line, and yet this was a tie game with a minute left. So here's my initial takeaway. Despite playing a top 25 caliber opponent in front of 9,000 people in the program's biggest game in at least a decade, Drake was in position to win at the end. Yeah, no, they they sure were, and and you definitely gave a, a pretty a pretty good summary. It's weird because last week we talked about the game, and I felt going into it that that Drake was going to lose this. Um, I said that, and coming out of the game, I felt much better about our team than I did prior to the game, and so it's kind of counterintuitive because in a weird way. I expected us to lose or I predicted we would lose, but the way we lost, I thought was a lot better than I thought it was going to go down. I'll I'll be honest, it was 24 to 7 with 10 minutes left. I thought it was game over uh, at that point, hitting every three, we're rushing everything. Tucker's injured, hasn't scored. It was kind of like, how are we going to get out of this? And I would say for Tucker's sake that if you're an NBA scout and you're wondering about Tucker's potential at the next level, those nine minutes of the first half were probably the best nine minutes that Tucker has played all season. He was unbelievable. And I felt like it was very much a, if we're going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging because he started just taking shots that probably were not the most high percentage, but he knew that we needed to be aggressive. And the end to the first half was very impressive to me. So again, I can we can break down the game a little bit more, but I, I think my overall takeaway is to go into that building with that type of environment and climb out of a 17-point hole with a lot of things not really going your way uh, was very impressive. And I said last week that I don't think you can beat Indiana State with defense, and we came very close to it, uh, which is, again, a very impressive thing to do to a to a really good Indiana State team. But, you know, that's my big takeaway. I also have some thoughts on, on Nate Ferguson, uh, but... Uh, What's uh what's your what what's your overall overall reaction to my take? Yeah, I mean I think uh, Drake's performance reflective of the big difference between this game and the game in Des Moines, which is that in Des Moines, Indiana State big man Robbie Avila got into foul trouble and was only able to play I think 24 minutes. And in Terre Haute, Drake's star big man Darnell Brody got into foul trouble and it was the other way around because. You know, in Des Moines, they had 6'6 backup Xavier Bledson trying to match up against Brody, and, you know, he just didn't have the size to handle it. And, you know, this time on the road, Nate Ferguson, who 
is a very capable, but a little, little bit undersized defensively, was trying to then match up with Robbie Avila. And I think he had his third highest minute total of the season against the Sycamores in Terre Haute. And uh, that was, I think, the main difference. It Without Darnell controlling the boards and having him to threaten with that inside scoring presence, uh, it was it was definitely an uphill climb. Yeah, very different game than when they played in Des Moines with with Robbie. I think he ended up with three or four fouls, but it didn't really have foul, foul trouble the entire game. Darnell had a, maybe the best game of his Drake career against Indiana State in Des Moines. And this time around, unfortunately, and, and you, you know, I love Brody, but, you know, he had a really bad performance. Indiana State, we talked about their defensive strategy because I knew it was going to change. And, and really the adjustment was... On the dribble, they were digging at Brody, and Brody was not strong with the ball. Um, so a lot of turnovers. Here's where where I would differ a little bit with with Nate Ferguson, because you know just going back and and watching through the game and watching the highlights, I thought he had a really good game. I thought his screening was terrific, especially in the first half to get Tucker going. So I thought he did a lot of really positive things. You know, it's it's honestly it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, for for those that didn't watch the game, you know, let's let's break down the final sequence. You know, Drake's down three with with a minute five left. Kevin Overton gets a look in the corner, buries the three, and as he hits the three, Nate Ferguson gets fouled. So that's potential for a five point play, an incredible swing for Drake. Unfortunately, Nate misses both free throws. Indiana State comes back down. Robbie hits a three in front of Nate Ferguson as well, uh, and then after that. Three really bad possessions from Drake to close out the game. So that's also a little bit disappointing. You know, from there, it was a Tucker ISO that ended up in a block, a rush, add and drive, and then a Connor air ball. Uh, so it wasn't just the two free throws that Nate missed. Uh, also a little bit disappointing with how our offense went the last minute. But but anyway, what I'm trying to say about Nate is, yeah, you know, Brody had a rough game. Definitely couldn't play the part that Drake needed him to, but... I thought Nate gave really good minutes and the missed free throws were just really hard to come back from. No, absolutely. Nate Nate gave great minutes. It, it's just the little things in a game between two teams that are this good. It's those little margins that affect you. Because like, when you've got Darnell on there, he's such a huge presence, even when he isn't having his best game. Because like you said, he did have some turnovers off of digs in the post. But just his physical presence makes such a huge difference in terms of contesting drives, stopping Avila from getting comfortable. It's a really interesting matchup in terms of sort of the chess match that Josh Schertz and Darren DeVries have going on back and forth with their polar opposite big men. Right, right. And, I mean, Indiana State was hitting everything in the first half. Uh, We were kind of a beat too late on guarding the pick and pop and threes were flying. But, you know, overall, Drake did a pretty good job of defending the three-point line, only allowed seven threes, which that's five threes below the season average for Indiana State. So Drake did a lot of good things defensively, especially in the second half and especially the last, really the last 30 minutes of the game. If you if you want to look at it that way, but it's the thing that's hard about Indiana State, you know, with the pick and pop and and all that is they stretch you out so much. Like they put five shooters for long stretches of the game, and you have to be kind of all the way out on the perimeter. And that it's the drives that kill you. You know, it's it's one thing if they get hot from three and 
and you do your best to contain that. But it's once they start driving the ball, like that's when it gets uh, really difficult to defend. But again, I can I kind of agree with your initial assessment. You know, I didn't come away from that game feeling worse about Drake's chances. I think obviously the the thing that's that's really disappointing is this unfortunately means you know regular season title is pretty much out the window. A chance at a at large berth is out the window. It's really you have to win the conference tournament, which was most likely going to be the case anyway, but it definitely puts the pressure on. That's the way we can get into the tournament. But like I said, I felt better about how we reacted and, and how we responded to a really hostile environment because I thought we were going to lose, but I thought it was going to kind of go down like they get a nice lead. You know, we kind of hang around. We're, we're never really out of it, but we never really make a run. In the end, we lose by like eight, nine points maybe, but it really wasn't that. I know it, it was eight in the end, but it was just free throws. So It's funny that you mentioned feeling better coming out of this game because like, obviously after it was done, I was in a terrible mood. It was wildly frustrating. But on the other hand, I do feel a little bit the same way that you do in terms of watching that game. I come away thinking that on a neutral court, I'm picking Drake to win. And it's no disrespect to Indiana State. You know, we've now seen them twice. Their offense executes at a really high level. They do a lot of things that are really tough to match up with. But at the end of the day, like if you're trying to win your conference tournament, you're going to have to go through some tough teams. And I think for Drake, the focus now needs to be, you know, staying in the 2-3 line, you know, definitely not dropping down to the 4 to avoid playing Indiana State in a potential semifinal. But really, they just got to get healthy. I'm not saying, hey, everyone, we need to load manage, but I'm saying, you know, if there's a couple games here and there where Tucker could rest his shoulder, where hopefully Kobe uh, gets healthy, uh, we need that because now, like I said, you got to win three games in three days, assuming Drake gets that initial buy into the tournament. But it's going to be tough. We'll talk about Southern Illinois and Bradley, but, you know, Drake's, he, they're tied for second with Bradley now. And, I think the focus now is finishing the season out strong and, and get healthy, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I don't even really care about being in that two spot. It's just top four at this point. As long as you get the bye going right. into St. Louis, to me, that's all that really matters for Drake because you've got Bradley, you've got Indiana State. I think on any given day, Bradley can be as tough to beat given the way that they're playing right now. I think, you know, obviously the way they play probably plays a little bit more into Darren DeVries' hands than Indiana State, who spreads the court and has obviously the the stretch center with Robbie. But whoever we end up playing in the Valley Tournament, I really like our chances, especially if we can get our defensive stopper, all six-man Colby Garland back from his uh, knee injury. Yeah, you know, it, it sucks that he's missed these last couple games. Like, he really had started to become such a presence in, in the rotation and, and such an impact player. I hope we get him back soon. I was a little bit surprised we didn't see uh, Carlos Rosario coming off the strong performance mm-hmm. against Valpo. Kyron, he's always going to give you good minutes. I thought he did a, a pretty good job. You know, one guy we haven't mentioned thus far on the podcast. You know, shout out to Kevin Overton. Big game from him. Uh, yeah, really freshman of the week award. Hey, you know, we kind of jinxed him to start out the season saying, you know, how he was going to win it every single week. But he was terrific. And, you know, going back to Tucker, going through his stats, uh, 26 points, 10 rebounds, just one turnover. I thought, 
he was so in control those last nine minutes of the first half, just getting to his spots, even when he was missing jumpers, like he was getting to the mid range, getting to the lane, you know, hitting the three. Uh, and like I said, had, had a really good game. So I think where we were kind of lacking offensively, you know, we talked about it last week. We, we needed an A plus or a, at least an A game from the Drake offense and Ultimately, it ended up being just Tucker and Kevin that really played a good game. I, you know, Kevin Overton was only four of twelve for thirteen points, but they felt like a lot more than that, especially in the first half when we were kind of drowning a little bit. Um, we got to figure out what's going on with Adden in some of these games. Like we got to do a better job of of getting him the ball and and putting him in in, in better positions to attack because I think it's happened too many times this season where. It's not even that, you know, he's missing shots or or maybe even passive. We're just not really putting him in positions where he can attack. And then you're halfway through the game and you're like, oh, Adam's only taken a couple shots. Yeah, we need to do a better job of getting him engaged. He really is the second most prolific scorer mm-hmm. in this offense. Brody is always going to be good for, you know, 10 points, 10 rebounds or so. Tucker's going to go off for anywhere from 20 to 35 but it's like when you've got a game where Atten can get 20, like that's when this team goes to the next level offensively. Yeah, and I've noticed that Atten, he loves that transition three. He kind of thrives when we're pushing the ball and pushing the pace. So I think when we're not doing that, that's when we're not getting him involved. You know, when when we are getting up and down and running the floor and finding him in, in space, he's proven to be really effective. It's just tough. Connor and Adam combined for 12 points on the night. And it's tough, you know, having that production from your guard positions. And Connor competed. Like, again, at the end of the day, you're playing a really good team in, in a really hostile environment. And, and you were right there to, to win it, you know. Yeah, you shoot 60% from the free throw line as a team, and you, you might get the W there. Because they were 12 for 23. Right. And going back and watching the game, it didn't feel like we were missing that many free throws, but they kind of piled up. You know, it's like, okay, Connor misses one after his end one. Kyron misses one after his end ones. You know, Tucker misses a front end, and then all of a sudden you know, 12 of 23 and, and, and that's rough. And those, those points were really valuable. I I wanted to ask what you saw on the, what ended up being, you know, the game winning points with the Robbie three, because I went back and I, I kind of looked at it slow, slow motion on that with Nate and Adam uh, guarding that, that pick and pop. And it it didn't look to me, it looked like Adam did not ask for help and Nate, hedged that really hard and then tried to recover and unfortunately it was it was too late so it looked like a miscommunication because i don't think adam was expecting the help from nate and then of course it was too late and and robbie nails it yeah i couldn't tell whether adam asked for it there was just that hard hedge and it's Mm -hmm. tough because nate was almost back in position he just Mm -hmm. didn't get quite enough into him Obviously, Avila, with the height that he has, he has a clear look at the basket pretty much regardless, even when you think you're in defensive position. So it's like he just needed to get a little bit up further into him, um, recover a little bit more quickly. But, you know, all credit to Robbie Avila. He's a hell of a shooter. He's a great player. Um, I don't think 
their Sunday surprise, at least from the Drake basketball podcast, you know, when it comes to Robbie. Like, I remember 10 games into the season last year, texting back and forth, like, man, this guy from Indiana State can really shoot it. You know, he's the real deal. You know, if you're looking for, for trends on a potential rubber match, uh, something to look out for, Drake once again did a great job on Isaiah Swope. So that's two really bad games from Swope against Drake. And Robbie, you know, he had 20 and 11, had a good game, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a huge takeover game. You know, we we held our own. I, one funny note that I want to point out, because, I mean, this is pretty weird. So in the first game, I commented on the fact that Indiana State got 10 free throws from Julian Larry for a perfect 10 for 10. Well, in this one, it was Ryan Conwell getting 10 free throws for a perfect 10 for 10. Odd statistical oddity there, right? Like, you know, how, how do you have two guys that don't shoot an incredible amount of free throws? One game, they got 10, and the next one, it's the other guy. But just something weird that I noticed. But one thing I will say about Arch Madness in terms of trends, like I said it last week, you can't really expect Indiana State to hit seven threes again. And I know it's well documented. Their bench, that has to catch up at some point, right? They do not go into that bench. It's it's Xavier Bledson and that's it. You know, they got a couple guys that played some minutes towards the end, mm-hmm. but they really just play six deep. That's it. No, that's a great observation because in this game, their starters minutes went 33, 37, 39, 37, and full 40 from Jason Kent. And in three games and three days setting, it'll be very interesting to see how that impacts a team that relies so heavily on the three-point shot. Yeah. What happened with Tucker on that play? Was it his ankle or was it his knee? Uh, He probably left the game for about six minutes, give or take. The announcers kept saying it was his knee, but it looked like to me that he came down strangely on his ankle and just rolled it a little bit. You know, another thing to, to point out with that is, you know, Tucker really has been playing 38 to 40 minutes and he he was out of the game for six minutes while Indiana State built that lead and Drake was just trying to to not drown uh, with the pressure from Indiana State so another thing that could have would have been nice to not have Tucker just randomly miss six minutes of a key game dude it's like we said every single thing that you list that went against us in this game makes me more confident for the future now hopefully we can get a rubber match in St. Louis. Yeah, because for me, I believe very strongly that Darren DeVries and this Drake basketball team will beat Indiana State if they can make it to Sunday in St. Louis. I don't know whether we make it to Sunday in St. Louis. You know, maybe we get knocked out on the way there. But if we make it there, I think Drake takes home that victory and goes to their second consecutive NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree. And one thing that can be overlooked with now having more teams in that in the Valley is that initial quarterfinals game is a lot tougher than it used to be. Like, that's a legit hard game. That could be Drake versus Southern Illinois. It could be Drake against mm-hmm. Missouri State, who uh, obviously continues to just haunt us. It's going to be a talented team. So it used to be, if you're in on Friday, you know, you're likely having like a not as such a hard game but now with with how many good teams are in the conference like that first game in in the quarterfinals is pretty tough and then obviously 
you're looking ahead to the semis, it most likely would be Bradley. And I know, you know, we have our we have our history with Bradley, and they're they're playing well, but we still haven't seen them um, this season. So still don't really know how we match up with this new new version of the Bradley Braves. Yeah, that'll be fun. It's so weird to be this deep into the season and still not have played them. Yeah, it is. It is odd, and and Bradley's playing well. They've had such a strange year. You know, they started off really well. I think they were six and zero. Then they were six and six. Then now now they're playing well again. So they've had a a weird year. But I I think the one thing that you can say about Bradley, and we've talked about it before, is they know who they are. They know what they run. Uh, they're always going to play good defense, and they have their system. Uh, so you kind of know what you're going to get with Bradley. It's just a matter of are you going to be able to out execute them? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Bradley, after the uh, Indiana State game, Drake is now number 54 in the net, which is exactly one spot ahead of Bradley, who is number 55. They can never catch up to us. You know, they can keep trying. <laughs> it's, it's like the little brother whose older brother is faster and running ahead, and they're just chugging along. So hey. I said <laughs> So I said earlier that you know it's kind of a wrap on the regular season title and obviously indiana state has a two-game lead on drake at this point and the reason why i said that is you know the bulldogs still have at bradley at northern iowa and still have bradley at home it's weird because now after that performance against indiana state i really do feel like we'll probably win at bradley and i don't think i felt that way you know a couple weeks ago so who knows you know maybe drake has a chance to win out or maybe only drops one uh, to close out the year. But I don't think Indiana State, they'll probably lose one, you know, just kind of a schedule loss trip up somewhere, maybe at Missouri State. You know, they love to get up for actual games and not the games where they should be they should be winning. Uh, so maybe they they drop one there or against Southern Illinois or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see where Bradley finishes because they do still have a game at Northern Iowa. And Northern Iowa kept it under 30 against Murray State, and to be able to to be able to only lose by 28 points to the Racers, like that's is, big time. Is Murray State the most uh, enigmatic team in the Valley? Because I feel like Missouri State is like they're just emeritus, like they don't count in this conversation because they're always they're always like that every single year. But but Murray State has been pretty solid most of the year you know they've had some good wins and some bad losses but again like they they have played indiana state really well and they blew out you and i so i don't know on the right night they look pretty good yeah they're a strange team uh, i believe we only play them once this year so it'll be interesting to see what we make of them they're yeah. they're a very they're a smaller team they're very guard heavy i would assume we're going to go to darnell early and often that one but we don't need to preview murray state right now because we have a very good southern illinois team coming to the nap center on wednesday they are currently in sole possession of fourth place what do you expect to see here uh it's another team that i think drake knows really well when we played them in carbondale uh, I think the game plan was very apparent. Keep Xavier Johnson off the free throw line. You know, even though he's a really good shooter, 
uh, and he can hit that pull up, forcing him into as many jumpers as we as we can is, is in our best interest. And then I think Drake did a really good job of packing the paint on that first game and just forcing Southern Illinois to shoot. They're not a great offensive team. Uh, so I think that's kind of what you have to do is keep him out of the lane, keep him out of the free throw line and just force them to make three. So It'll be a tough game because whenever you have a scorer like Xavier Johnson, he can get hot and he can control the game for large stretches. Uh, so that's the key is just, again, slowing him down. He's going to get his points, make it as inefficient as possible. And that's really the key. Uh, I think Drake played really well in Carbondale. Uh, so I hope we get repeat performance because this is a big week. You know, you had a, a big emotional game against Indiana State. And now you play the fourth best team in the conference at home on Wednesday and then the third best team in the conference on the road on Saturday. Well, I guess we're tied for second, but uh, we'll, I'll say we're still the number two. Yeah, I look for Drake to show out a little bit in this game. I mean, I think following the disappointment that occurred in Terre Haute. I think that the team is probably going to come together, be really excited to be back in the NAP Center. Brian Mullins will have tweaked things, but he won't have changed his main defensive principles. He's still going to play a straight man, which is still Darren DeVries' biggest strength in terms of dissecting a defense. Um, I'm sure they'll try to stop us from getting quite as many back cuts as we got last time, but I would I would bet on the Bulldogs in this one. I agree. and. I think we match up pretty well against Southern Illinois. And as you've talked about before, when whenever we play a team that's extremely uh, dependent on one person, uh, we tend to do fairly well against them. Yes, we do. Do you remember Enright started on him? Was it Garland playing primarily the backup defender on Johnson? Yeah, it was Connor and, and Garland that had that had the assignment. And I thought Kobe, Kobe did a pretty good job, actually. Um, yeah, so that's going to be interesting if Colby's still out in terms of what we're going to do on the leading scorer in the conference. Come on, Coach DeBreeze. We got to see Ke- Kevin Overton. We we always seem so reluctant to play him on guards, and I, I don't really understand why, because uh, he definitely has the length and the speed. Uh, but yeah, it'll be Connor, and I thought he did a really good job of, again, keep him out of the lane, don't foul him force him to make threes which obviously he can but that's just kind of you got to give him something so you play the percentages i guess yeah well anything more on the salukis gotta take care of business at home and then our favorite team bradley braves uh we'll save that for a preview after the southern illinois game but speaking of favorites it's time for everyone's favorite segment the mailbag Tonight, we have a question from Dominic Johnson out of the Twin Cities who asks, which player from the Phelps or Jackaletti eras would you add to this year's roster? And Eduardo, I'm going to guess, we haven't talked about this at all, but I'm going to guess that we have the same answer for this because there really is one correct answer to this question. So well, I now there's so much pressure. Now you're making me doubt myself whether i should have been thinking about someone else but for me all right i'm gonna do a three two one countdown and we're both gonna say his name this will be very interesting all right so i'll go three two one and we'll say the name are you ready okay yeah three two one ben carter oh no (laughs) richard carter come on i'm sorry it's rc3 all day All right, so walk me through it. So you're going with Big Ben. Sure. Uh, So I was going with Ben Simons 
just because I thought he fits so many things that this team could use a little more of. He was 6'7", 6'8", depending on who you ask, forward, who was an Iron Man. I mean, Phelps didn't know how to make plays, so what he would do is just run Ben Simons baseline to baseline <laughs> for the duration of a game. <laughs> so he played almost 36 minutes a game his junior year while shooting 42% from three, scoring 16 points a game. He could shoot from distance. He could handle the ball. He could penetrate. He fits that role of a very versatile wing player who I think, given a real coach, could do so much and just be great off the bench for this team or start in the starting lineup wherever you want to throw him. I know you have unmatched love for RC3, so so talk him up. I mean, for starters, are you really sure that we'd be able to incorporate baseline running into our, our offense? I mean, that sounds... <laughs> That sounds a little bit too complex for for Coach DeBreeze. Uh, But no, I mean, you know I'm a big Richard Carter fan. It was a, was his, his senior year was the first year of the Jacoletti era. Do I have that correct? Yeah, uh, because I was at a game, we actually played UIC in the non-conference. And Richard scored like 38 points or something against them in route to a one-point win under... Coach Ray Giacoletti. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, Ben Simons, I always want to call him not to be confused with Ben Simmons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ben Simons was really good shooter, a really good scorer. Like you said, he was an Ironman. Like, he always played, always available, always played a lot of minutes. RC3 somehow managed to keep a pretty horrendous Drake team uh, interesting in the first year of Ray Giacoletti. He, that guy could just score. And I think the, the thing I love so much about his game is he just goes downhill all the time. Still a pretty good three-point shooter. Uh, he was kind of streaky. I, I went back and, and looked at his senior year. He was only a 32% three-point shooter, but it didn't feel that way because when he was rolling, you know, he could hit that three. So I went with RC3, you know, we've talked about this year needing needing a little bit more scoring on the guard position and and RC3 was just he just got buckets, you know, and he could just kind of turn on the ISO, turn on the Jets. Uh so I went with RC3. That's a good answer as well. It's funny though because and I you have to count him as a, a Phelps player. I think of actual Jackaletti players that he recruited the only person I thought would even be in consideration was Reed Timmer. Yeah. Just because our talent wasn't at its highest point under Coach Giacoletti. Right. And I did think about Reed Timmer. And obviously, who stuck around in the program when we sucked. So I'm always going to respect that and scored a lot and was a big, big part of that program, uh, especially kind of in that turnaround year with, uh, with Nico Medved. Uh, but... You know, I have a soft spot for RC3, and it was kind of fun, like, going back through the game logs of his senior year, because it was, it's very apparent, like, okay, which teams were actually good and could just, like, double team him the entire game. So you go through it, and, you know, it'll be like, UIC, 38 points, like, Albany, 26 points, but then it's like, Wichita State, six points <laughs> yeah. so it was kind of funny because you know any t- any team that had any semblance of like defense or talent it was like okay like we're just gonna take out richard carter out of the game and we really didn't have anything else <laughs> that first year of the jackaletti era whereas ben simons 
I remember clearly him taking control against the top 25 Wichita State team in triple overtime. And, uh, you know, he, he put up the winning shot that didn't go in, but Cradon Woods did get the rebound and put it in. There so counted go. as an assist. Yeah. yeah. Other players that jumped to mind when I was looking through this, obviously you've got Ravante Rice. Ray Ray. Yeah. Favorite of the Fighting Illini. Juco All-American Kurt Alexander. I love Kurt too. For a scoring guard. Yeah. And then these two classic Mark Phelps players, Josh Young. You know, when you oh. think of Josh Young, you think of Coach Phelps. I I did not I did not I did not think of <laughs> I did not think of Josh Young as a Mark Phelps player, but you are correct. <laughs> yeah, Josh does, Young and Bucky qualify. Cox were Josh Young and Bucky Cox were left over from the Davis days, and unfortunately, I had to play for Phelps for a couple of years. But what about? What about like a, a Jordan Clark? I feel like he would he would be a, a sneaky good omission, you know, just, or addition, just like yeah. some muscle and uh, power forward. Yeah, you know, we don't really have anyone uh, with that profile uh, or that build. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not overly muscular outside of Brody right now. Um, I mean, one guy I have to include, or else he's going to start texting me. No, the, don't uh, do it. <laughs> don't the Drake do it. legend. Sean Jones, standing seven feet tall. Some of you may not remember Sean, uh, you know, if you're younger out there, but some of the performances that he put up out there were the stuff of legend. I played bachelor party basketball with him, and he was making it rain from three. He was distributing. You know, one guy in particular was like, wow, I'm really impressed at how well you move. And (laughs) Sean Jones, full package. Oh, shout out to Sean Jones and shout out to Sean Jones, loyal Drake basketball podcast listener. One of the DVP's uh, mo- most loyal listeners uh, would expect nothing less. But Sean, was he at Drake one year or two years before he went to Grandview? Oh, that's a great question. Tune in for that answer on the next Drake basketball podcast. <laughs> that's a cliffhanger. Also, we did have one more question uh, from our guy Sidelines Drake on Twitter, who asked, "What would the uh, what would the Drake Twitter matchup look like in a five-on-five game, and who would win between Drake Twitter and Bradley Twitter?" Oh my God, what a question! Not even a contest. I don't know anything about the skill level of some of the the Bradley fans on Twitter, but but I know I know my skill level and I know your skill level and and I'm taking the the Drake Twitter fans over the Bradley fans. Yeah, the the years of intramural basketball between the collective Drake Twitter and then, you know, I mean I've got a I have Church League champion certificate hanging on the fridge that doesn't lie about the on court chemistry that Eduardo and I have. I mean, I don't want to brag about about our West Des Moines uh, basketball tournament championship, but I will if that means having to prove that we can we can fend off the Bradley Braves of Twitter. James Siegel, also a Drake basketball podcast listener, he can ball. You know, James yep. can put up buckets. You know, that's another. I've seen, I've seen James make half court buzzer beaters. Exactly. No, I feel I feel very confident that we would take down uh, the Bradley Bradley Braves Twitter. In fact, yeah. if they're if they're in Des Moines in March, you know, whoever's here, three on three, Drake Park, I'm just saying. And you know, I've I've never played with sidelines or some other noted Drake Twitter standouts like Nick McCargar, but I can only imagine that they would make it rain from deep 
Yeah, we can get Ted Brewer out there, you know, mm-hmm. the the legendary Michael Sherba, you know, just will bring out all the luminaries. Joshua Dahl, Mike Flegel. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, all right. So anyone who is now tired of listening to this podcast after hearing us <laughs> list half a dozen random names of people you've never heard of, I apologize. We're done with this segment, just like Bradley would be done if they faced us on court in a Twitter matchup. There you go. Well, that's all we got for you today. Looking forward to seeing the Bulldogs back in action on Wednesday against the Salukis. Since they're also a type of dog, I don't know if we can close out with let's go dogs. Let's go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. There you go.